0: Des, us have numbers here and Ricardo Pepe, the prodigy strikes again mature beyond his years it's about being patient you know I feel like if you ask any tri- any striker what's you know whenever you don't touch the ball or whenever you don't get a lot of opportunities you just got to stay ready for it when you do get a chance. I think he's really grown into this striker that is just so deadly in the box, you know. He's someone that's always around. I mean, for a midfielder slash winger, what I am, it's a dream to play with a strike with him because you know he's going to be in these spots. This is the SBI Show. Hello, everybody. I'm Ives Slip and it is Saturday, the day before the U.S. men's national team takes on Panama on October 10th which as we all know is the anniversary of the infamous U.S. Trinidad and Tobago match. No reason to bring the bad vibes in already. I know, I apologize for that because there's plenty of good vibes to discuss. Good res- One good result to discuss and we'll start off with that good result, the 2-0 win over Jamaica on Thursday. And the Ricardo Pepe train keeps rolling. The FC Dallas teenager with the two goals. He. Be- he- we all wondered how would he find a way to improve on his one goal and two assist performance against honduras in the september qualifiers and what does he do he goes out in austin texas his home state and scores two goals and you know what overall it was a, a strong performance by the u.s even though it was zero zero at halftime it was still a much better feeling at halftime of that game than it was at that halftime of that honduras game i'm sure some of you have already erased that from your memories or are blocked it out and don't want to think about how scary things were at halftime of the Honduras match. But look how things have changed. Halftime of the Honduras game, everyone's kind of like, what in the world is going on? Three matches potentially without a win. Are we going to miss the World Cup again? And all of a sudden, what happens? The the rally, the second half rally, U.S. beats Honduras. Now they turn around another second half rally, and they beat Jamaica 2-0. And guess who's in first place? In the octagonal, after four rounds, the U.S. men's national team is topping the table, and I know some of, not many of you probably would have expected that uh, at halftime of the Honduras game, but here we are. Here, here the U.S. men's national team is, and Greg Burhalter, It's funny because uh, you know I saw the video of his press conference after the Jamaica match and there's always that kind of still the thumbnail of the video and he had the biggest smile on his face and it was so different from the look uh, say after the draw against Canada or after the draw against El Salvador but who can blame him I, I, of course i'd be happy too if uh, my team had won two in a row and this was probably the this is i mean for me it has to be the best performance so far of the four in qualifying Against the Jamaica team that obviously we know it's not a strong Jamaica team. They were missing their their, their top attacking threats in terms of Mikel Antonio and Leon Bailey. And I'm sure U.S. fans will be like, wait a minute, we were missing Christian Pulisic and Gio I get that. But we know the U.S. has more depth than Jamaica. And Jamaica really needed Antonio and they really needed Bailey, but they didn't have them. Them's the breaks. And the U.S. took care of business with Pepe. And there were a lot of great performances. It was by by no means it was it just the Ricardo Pepe show. There were a lot of players that that really made some cases to continue to be starters and some players who made the most of the opportunity. And I have to start with Eunice Musa, his first World Cup qualifier. And he he played like a veteran. He played like someone who's been through the wars. Like he he looked unfazed at and no point in that game. He looked completely comfortable. On the ball, he obviously helped set up the, the, the goal, uh, the first goal, to get things rolling. And uh, just a really good overall performance from him. And And then another player who had a good performance who, who needed it after what was a bit of a disappointing September, and that's Serginio Dest, who obviously had the assist on the first Ricardo Pepe goal. and was just really good, offensively, defense, defensively, playing it right back. He just had a steady performance. And yeah, where where there's some moments where, you know, you could say, oh, you know, he maybe he could have maybe dribbled a little little less here or there or those kind of things. Yeah, you can nitpick if you want. But in terms of overall performance, it was a good showing by the Barcelona fullback. And he's kind of reestablished himself for anyone who was doubting it. I was never doubting it. I always said, look, this kid's too talented. He's going to be there. He had a rough go in September, but he'll be okay. And that's what we saw against Jamaica. Against Jamaica, he looked good. He did everything he had to do. And, I, you know, it was a little worrisome that he that he hobbled off a bit. And you kind of wonder, is he going to be good to go? Because you kind of need him against Panama. Especially, I think he starts at left back with Anthony Robinson not going to Panama. We'll touch on that later. But good performance from Dest. And how about uh, the two players who, when the lineup came out, when the U.S. lineup came out before the Jamaica game, the two names that we knew People are going to have an issue with Paul Ariola and Walker Zimmerman. And you could a- absolutely say that those two were two of the best players for the U.S. Definitely Walker Zimmerman, for my money, was the best defensive player for the U.S. against Jamaica. And that's including Miles Robinson, who had a bit, I don't even want to say shaky performance, but it wasn't his typical dominant display that we've come to expect. From Miles Robinson. He, you know, he was still solid. He still did what he had to do, but he wasn't dominant. And Walker Zimmerman, you can absolutely argue, was dominant. So kudos to him. He took advantage. Of and Paul Ariola, who was easily, easily the biggest surprise starter and the player who I know the most fans took serious issue with. And not just because of Ariola, right? Not just because of, you know, his whether or not they feel like he should be in, but it was. Who wasn't it? And that was Tim Weah, who I think most people, myself included, thought he would be the guy. We thought he would start. But again, we have to remember squad rotation. What does Paul Areola do? First minute of the match, he draws what? Should have been a red card, but was instead a yellow card, and he did not waste any time making an impact. He had the excellent pass to Brendan Aronson for what could have been a penalty or another card. Uh, on replay, it looked like it was a, the, the defender Damian Lowe got the ball. So you can say, okay, look, it wasn't even a foul, but the referee actually gave a yellow card and he called the foul. If you're going to call the foul, then it's a it's a it's a red card. But it wasn't a call, it wasn't a red card, so I guess you can't really complain too much about that call. But you can complain about the first one. But Paul Arriola, back to the point, he was just so energetic, he just got involved, he pressed. He did everything that Greg Barhalter could have asked of him. And it was a really strong performance, and that's what's interesting when you think about how things are going in qualifying. I still remember the first match, El Salvador. And who was the player that the most people took issue with starting? Tim Reem. When Tim Ream was, was announced as the starter for that match, a few people lost their minds. They were just like, what in the world is Greg doing smoking? Why is, is Tim Reem starting? And what Tim Ream do? He went out. He actually had a strong game and ended up having a stronger September than John Brooks. I don't know anyone who would have seen that coming. But back to the point. Tim Reem stepped up then. Paul Ariola and Walker Zimmerman stepped up now, and maybe we should, you know, tone down the crying about, you know, certain players not, not starting. Let's not forget squad rotation. And that's really kind of the big issue or the big – when you have depth, when you have multiple options and you can afford to rotate – then why not rotate? Because there's for a variety of reasons, not only about getting, keeping your team fresh, but also to help your players avoid injuries because you can wear your players down if, if, with the grind of World Cup qualifying, trying to play them every minute. Not all players are equipped physically to handle that workload. And it's interesting because now the U.S. is playing a team that is really sticking with a same nucleus of players, working them to the bone, uh, a collection of nine players, nine for Panama, who have started in every single qualifier. I mean, that's, just to put it in the context where you, only two Americans have done that. Only two Americans have actually played, started in every game in qualifying so far. One is a goalkeeper, Matt Turner, and the other is Miles Robinson. Now, Tyler Adams is pretty close. He, he ended up coming out with seven minutes to go against, um, against Jamaica, so that he would have been part of that club. But, you know, if you have the depth, if you have guys you believe in, and if you, that, and you have guys who you who you think you can plug into your system and handle the assignments and handle the roles that you give them, then you do it. And that's what and that what Berhalter has done, much to the chagrin of some U.S. fans who obviously they want the young guys, they want all the young guys. Never mind that the team was young as it was. I mean, I, I, I found an interesting stat when I found out. I was kind of like digging it up, just trying to compare and contrast the. Super experienced group in Panama, along with the very inexperienced group in the U.S. And I found it interesting that Panama has three players with more than 100 caps. The U.S. entire starting lineup that faced Jamaica has, I believe, something like 160 caps. So it's not even that far away. Like you can take two Panamanian players and they would have more caps than the entire U.S. starting lineup. It just shows you the disparity in terms of experience. But there's something to be said for the benefits of rotating squads and keeping your players fresh and how that's going to play out on Sunday. And I actually, I asked uh, Greg Berhalter about that as far as, you know, is, you know do, does he think that's an advantage for the U.S., especially going against a Panama team that has played the same players, for the most part, all four matches. They The only two players who had, didn't play all four matches didn't play because they were injured. And if they hadn't been injured, chances are Thomas Christensen would have played the same 11 every single qualifier in September, which he did, and the first qualifier, which obviously Panama lost to El Salvador. And and to be fair to Panama, it was a real ugly environment in terms of it was like a deluge of rain. Hours beforehand, the field was a mess. It was flooded, and it wasn't a great condition for what Panama wants to try to do in terms of moving the ball around. It did not play into their strengths by any means. Now we've gotten a whole tangent and I do not want to forget about Brendan Aronson who did it again. I mean, he, he, Delivers a goal or an assist. I feel like every single game, and he just makes things happen. And you want to give the guy credit because he is really just. It's not so much that it's not only about the production; it's the consistency, and he's just doing it every single game. After, of course, the El Salvador game, which was a rough go for him, it was his first experience in the environment of Central America. He he obviously didn't have a a good first match, and he was not alone in that first match against El Salvador. But much like so many others, he has grown and really. Really kind of put himself in position now to be A consistent player on this team A consistent starter, obviously having No Pulisic, having no Reina it creates more opportunities, but you have to think, with the productivity that he has had, not only in friendlies, but in in actual qualifiers, he's just continuing to get it done, goal or assist. So with him doing what he's doing, Greg Berhalter, I don't know how you take him out of your lineup, even when you're full strength. So that's going to be, uh, be a challenge for Berhalter because you have Pulisic and Reyna, who, let's face it, they're the most talented players in the pool. If they're healthy, you start them. Arena, Cla- and 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 yeah, and Giarena and Christian Pulisic, most talented players in the U.S. pool. If they're healthy, you start them. Right. That's step one. Step two. If you're starting the two of them, you gotta have. Where do you put Brendan Aronson? Because you gotta have him on the field. So that's, it's a good problem. It's one of them good problems. As uh, as I, I think it w- might have been Marlow in one of the seasons of the Wire when he said he said like that sounds like one of them good problems. And it is. It's a good problem to have. Aronson just you know, aside, not only has he been in great form, but again, he can give you some versatility. He can play centrally. He can play wide. His pressing ability and his ability to pick out passes, like it it, it can work either spot. It can work in the middle. It can work out wide. Now, look, do we want to, you know, hold a parade for a 2-0 victory against a Jamaica team that clearly is a mess? No, we don't want to do that. Right. We don't want to try to, you know, pin historical perspectives on performances like Ricardo Pepe which you know what it, it, it's the the train is rolling right people are jumping on and how can you not love what this kid is doing he is just he is stepping up and he's making things happen and it's pretty clear as Greg Berhalter noted on Saturday that look he came in he came into this October camp feeling the grind that he's been on for club and country because this is a whole new level of of work that he's had to do in terms of just uh, you know week in and week out you know two game weeks consistent basis and then he's starting and he's playing so many minutes and it, it you know for some players they could respond positively some players can respond negatively in terms of their physical capability of, of handling the workload. So that, that's that's going to be the real challenge for Pepe and for Berhalter is how you manage that. Because, I mean, when a player is in this kind of form, you got to ride the hot hand, right? I mean, can you really afford, genuinely afford to take him out now, even if you want to rotate your squad, even if, like, I, I got to believe that before October began, and Burrell was looking at the potential lineup options and who he would play when I have a feeling he was, he hadn't planned for Pepe to be the striker going down to Panama, but how do you take him out? How do you take him out when he's had a goal in each of his first two games, both qualifiers, three goals total has shown division has shown the hold the play. He's shown everything that you could possibly want from a striker. And, uh, you know, it, it, no no offense to Jossie Zardes, no offense to Matthew Hoppy and the other options that you have at striker, but you got to ride the hand, And I have a feeling that's what he's going to do against Panama. We'll get into the Panama starting lineup, uh, the lineup against Panama in a little bit, but we have to wrap up, obviously, with this U.S.-Jamaica win and what it means. So what else happened in CONCACAF World Cup qualifying? Well, in case you missed it, and I'm pretty sure you haven't if you're listening to this podcast, Canada went to Mexico City and got themselves a point. And it's the first time they've gotten a result in World Cup qualifying in Azteca in more than 40 years. That's crazy. I think it was 41 years. It might have been the exact number. But it just kind of shows you how long it's been. And actually, Canada became the first team in the history of final round CONCACAF World Cup qualifying to get results against the Americans and against the Mexicans on the road in the same cycle. And that's what they did. They obviously tied the U.S. 1-1. We remember that one in Nashville, where you could argue that they were the better team. And they did it again on Thursday, tying Mexico 1-1. And you can argue they had the better chances there. Expected, I think they, I believe they it doubled up the expected goals between them and Mexico. I think it was like 1.6 against 1.6 for Canada, 0.8 for Mexico. And it just kind of puts in perspective the chances that Mexico had. They could have easily won. Alfonso Davies had one where he missed hits it. And, you know, I feel like I don't want to say nine times out of ten, but seven times out of ten, he's probably finished. Finishing it, I have a feeling his FIFA finishing rating is probably uh, too high. It probably has to go down now after that that miss. But he made up for it with a beautiful assist to Jonathan Sorio on the equalizer. And Canada is right there in third place where I think most people had them. And maybe not. Maybe most people didn't have them there. I had them there. I had Canada. I've said it. I said it before qualifying began. I saw Canada as the third team along with the U.S. and Mexico. Now, another big result on Thursday night was El Salvador beating Panama 1-0 and obviously Panama is the opponent for the U.S. and you know we will get into that shortly but I'm sure some people were like wait a minute Panama how do you lose to El Salvador and if you listen to this show you might have heard me last episode say that I was not sold on Panama not convinced as much as their start in September was you know promising and maybe they exceeded expectations in some ways in some areas absolutely and I do think I need to give them a bit more respect just because when you look at their nucleus that they have, the veterans that they have, the the, the number of players who've played in World Cups, in the World Cup, I say World Cups because Panama only made the, the last World Cup and they lost all three matches. But the point is, I think there's like 12 players from their World Cup team that are on this current Panama team. And a lot of them played multiple matches at the World Cup. And when you get that kind of experience, it helps you, but it didn't help them against El Salvador and, I'm going to throw throw a, a lifeline to Panama and point out that the weather conditions were just not conducive for trying to keep the ball on the ground and really try to play any sort of beautiful attacking soccer. And El Salvador, to their credit, they were able to get a goal. They were able to generate a goal, and it was a pretty good goal. So credit to them, and all of a sudden, guess what? El Salvador is tied on points with Panama at five points and I know people wanted to write off Panama and weren't convinced and you know what against the U S they didn't really threaten too much, but I'm telling you anyone who watched uh, El Salvador in the gold cup and saw them really push Mexico to the brink and showed off the qualities that they have. I mean, El Salvador is a tough team. And do I see them in the top three? Not really, not necessarily a lot of things would have to go their way for the top three, uh, for that to happen. But what is clear is El Salvador is a handful and you have to give credit to Hugo Perez with what he's done with that program. And they're going to be tough. They're going to be a tough out the entire, the entire octagonal. They're going to be a team that, and I mean at home, they haven't, they haven't lost at home yet. And you know, they, they're they going to be, I think they're going to be fun to watch. I think that this, there's no pressure on them. I mean, as much as yes, there's, there's pressure at trying to make the world cup. I get that. But in terms of, Expectations. I don't know how many people are expecting El Salvador to be a top three team. Sure, you, you know their most diehard fans might be, obviously not. Uh, they might be a little biased on that, obviously. But um, I, you got to give credit. You got to give Hugo Perez credit with what he's already done with that with that group, and you have to think he's going to continue to have a good influence on that group, and they're going to continue to be a hand be a handful throughout qualifying and the other result was costa rica and honduras zero zero draw a result that really didn't help either team and costa rica definitely needed Kaylor navas to step step up and, and make some big saves um luis lopez also with some good saves for honduras as well but you know you're talking about two teams that through four rounds have yet to either they neither of them has won a match yet through four rounds not looking great for them and you know coming into this cycle i had i i didn't I wasn't sold on Costa Rica being able to maintain the level that they've, they've become used to and that we've become used to for Costa Rica. I just don't think they have the talent coming up. They've gotten old. Uh, I don't know where they're going to be now. And I think, I I think they're going to miss out on the world cup personally. And Honduras is a bit of a mess. Um, They have players. Honduras does have players, but I just don't feel the, the cohesiveness of that group. And I don't feel like they don't, I don't feel like they have an identity to be honest with you. And Fabian Coito, the manager, you just, how you just wonder how much of a leash he has, how long they're going to give him to figure these things out. And I don't know. I don't think he's going to have much longer. Um, if they don't get a couple of wins here at the end of this window, uh, they've got a couple of games now, and we'll see if they what they can do. But if they keep dropping points, I mean, I don't think he's going to make it out of October, personally, the Honduras coach. Now it's time to talk about what we're all here to listen to and talk about and think about, and that is the U.S. match on Sunday against Panama. And there's some interesting decisions for Greg Berhalter to make in terms of who he starts, what setup he goes with. There are obviously some players missing who started against Jamaica on Thursday, Weston McKinney with a thigh issue, he has gone straight to to Columbus, Ohio. You have him, you have Anthony Robinson, and Zach Steffen. Robinson and Steffen, we already knew, we're going to skip the Panama match. But now, with McKinney out, that's another lineup decision that that, is going to have to make. And it's pretty straightforward. Kellen Acosta should start. Should step into that starting lineup. He's played in every match this year. I think the run now is 18 in a row that he's played in. Pretty crazy when you think about that. But Kellen Acosta, with the form that he's shown uh, really stepping up in some big spots in 2021. You know, you have to think that he's going to get the nod in the starting lineup. We'll go top to bottom with U.S. Panama in terms of who we who we are likely to see start and who I think we should see start. And I, I have a piece up on SBI if you're listening to this now. You want to read this instead of listen to it, you can go on SBI and you can see the piece where I kind of look at look at kind of break down the options. But we'll start with goalkeeper Matt Turner's your guy. Zach Stefan isn't even there; he's in Ohio. Uh, And your goalkeepers are Matt Turner and Sean Johnson. Matt Turner's your guy. He had another solid performance. And how about his throwing? I got to point this out because there's obviously a lot of talk about his footwork and his passing ability and his distribution and and the fact that it needs to get better. And he's had some shaky moments. He's had some nervy touches. So I'm sure people were paying attention to that and wondering how would he respond? How's he going to look? And what does he do? He really worked on speeding up play and worked on speeding up his delivery once he got the ball in terms of quick throws, quick effective throws, and he really sparked the the, the sequence on the opening goal with a quick and effective throw to spring Serginho Destin on the right wing, so you have to think we're going to see more of that, and you like seeing that kind of urgency from the U.S. because they're clearly out there trying to get that win. They're they're going to be the proactive ones, as much as I know. Panama's coaches come out and said, "Look, we're at home. We have to win. It doesn't matter who we play. We have to be the protagonists. We have to be the ones on the front foot." And I'm sure Greg Borholt is listening to that. Like, "Oh, hey, listen. If you want to do that, we could do that, buddy. If you want to dance, we can dance." And that's what. You know what? I hope we I hope that leads to a, an open dynamic entertaining match. But again, the conditions in Panama, you just wonder what they're going to be like. My understanding is it's raining there now. It's, it's Saturday and it's raining there. How is the field going to do? How will the ball roll? I'm sure one way or the other, um Panama's going to be feeling good to be at home after you know what happened in El Salvador and the field there and the the, the floody the flooding on the field over there. So I you know what? I just wonder what uh, what's going to happen as far as Panama and their experience against the U.S. and their dy- their youthful dynamism. That's the battle. It's not good versus evil. It's it's physical, cagey veterans against the, you know, dynamic, skilled, precocious uh, youngsters on the American side. So, you know, you kind of normally would have your money on the old guys to just kick some butt. But this U.S. team and these young players, they're a different breed they're different than the teenagers you might have grown up around or the you know 18 year olds 19 year olds and and you know that they, they don't play like they're that young a lot of these guys I mean obviously you're gaining that experience at high levels playing for in big leagues for big teams that's gonna help you get better tough competition that you're facing I get all that but how do you make up for that gap in experience against the Panama team that is very experienced that's their hallmark. Obviously that in terms of uh, continuing, Thomas Christensen the manager continuing to try to develop an identity within that group, getting that group to play together so much that they really learn how they play, learn how each other plays learn how each other wants the ball and be wants to be positioned. You like what you're seeing from the Panama coach in terms of trying to develop something there. As a, as a casual observer of CONCACAF, it's not a bad thing to have Panama try to compete and try to be in, in the conversation for a top four spot. So we'll see who wins out between the US and their youthful energy and their precociousness and their fearlessness against, uh, against a Panama team that has that veteran experience, that has that toughness that a lot of them have played in the World Cup. They know what it's about. And obviously, you know what? They have played second fiddle to the U.S. for so long. They've taken so many losses to, to the U.S. In the, over the years. You like to think they're going to try to knock off the U.S. finally. They've never beaten the U.S., and that's an interesting stat. As much as the U.S. has struggled in other Central American uh, road situations, they've never lost in Panama. And they're 2-0-2 in qualifying against Panama. And they won a friendly there. For those who forget, uh, I believe it was when Jurgen Klinsmann was the coach. They went down to Panama. They played a road game. You don't really get U.S. playing road games for friendlies very often. But they did it. And they won. So it's not a place that the U.S. has these kind of like horror moments i mean if anything panama has horror moments of u.s visits and we know the 23 the 2013 world cup qualifying cycle when san zusi scored and helped the us beat panama and helped mexico miraculously qualify for the world cup the 2014 world cup who can forget that i know the panamanians d- didn't forget it for a long time and obviously four years later the exact revenge in their own way because by them beating Costa Rica, they qualified. The U.S. did not qualify. So that, I mean, that's pretty good revenge, I'll tell you. I mean, listen, Panama, you got your revenge. The U.S. went through hell after not qualifying for that World Cup. So I think message sent, message sent. Uh, but we'll see what in terms of in terms of the U.S. lineup against Panama, how many changes is burhalter going to make? He has to make two, at least, because you have Weston McKinney, and Anthony Robinson that did not make the trip, and they started against Jamaica. So who replaces them? And the two leading candidates for my money, well, Kellen Acosta should be the guy. He should start for McKinney. It's pretty straightforward. And then you wonder who starts in place of Robinson. And for me, Dest, for my money, Sergio Dest is the best option. I mean, he obviously has started multiple matches at left back and even at left wing back for, for Barcelona. He's played on that side of the field. Now, I know that Dest has had some not-so-great performances at left back for the United States. I totally get that. But let's not forget... The one one good performance he had at left back was against Jamaica in a friendly. Now, I know it was only friendly and what have you, but we've seen him do it. We've seen him be able to play left back. He can do it. He can play left back. So uh, I want to see that. I want to see if, you know how he does there if he's healthy again obviously he was hobbled he came off the he came off the the field against Jamaica he had he, like he was hobbled but there were some video images of him on a treadmill with the group and he looked all right he looked like he's ready to go he's your guy now Dust can't go then it, it pretty much has to be George Bello. George Bello has to be a starting left back and look he did not have a good game against Honduras in World Cup qualifying and that was that's kind of the lasting memory right now. But we shouldn't forget George Bello. For my money, had a pretty solid showing starting in the Gold Cup final. Big moment for him, big stage. He did well there. He did not do well against Honduras, and that wasn't all on him. Obviously, the U.S. was in in a bit of disarray there in that first half against Honduras. So you know you don't want to put it all on Bello, but it wasn't a great it wasn't a great moment for him. So I, I think left back Serginio Dest is your left back, right back toss up there. Is it Shaq Moore? Is it DeAndre Yedlin? Shaq Moore has experience. He knows Jose Rodriguez, the, Pan- the Panamanian left uh, winger. They both play in the Spanish second division. So you kind of wonder, is that factoring in? Does to factor that in? Or did he not dress DeAndre Yedlin against Jamaica because he planned all the time, the whole while, to start him against Panama? And that, for me, actually makes plenty of sense because Yedlin has the most experience on this current team in terms of, you know, who has the most caps um, and he's also happens to be playing right now. He's playing consistently for Galatasaray. So, when you factor those two things in, he makes way more sense than Shaq Moore. Shaq Moore, who ha- isn't starting for his club, he's not. You have to wonder how sharp he is, um, and just in terms of overall national team experience, it's not even close. Yet Yellen should be your guy. Now, in that midfield, that, that there's a really big question there because obviously we'll, we'll go Acosta in for McKinney, Tyler Adams in again, but then is it Yunus Musa, who was outstanding? Against Jamaica, or do you make, mix things up and do you go with the Jill and Bucio? Now I know everyone's tripping about the fact that Busio was one of the players that didn't dress, and you're kind of asking yourself, well, what's, what's going on there? When it comes down to it, you know, a certain, only a certain number of players can dress, right? So if you're planning to potentially start certain players, um, and and you, you know you, you look you're looking at who can start and who's gonna who can potentially go off go off the bench, I could see him resting a Busio. Not starting him or not even having him available with the full intent of having him start against Panama. And I think that's what's going to happen. But having said that, if Musa gets to start again, you totally understand it just because of how well he played. I don't think anyone can deny that Musa looked great. Musa looked great. And it might be hard, under normal circumstances, it might be hard to take him out of the lineup. But when you have three matches in seven days or whatever the crazy number is, you got to rotate. You have to rotate your squad. And, you know, as much as Musa might want to play every minute of every game, he also has to understand there's a lot of other things at play, right? It's not just about this game. It's not just about the points at, at stake in this game. It's also about everything else going on in, in every player's situations because maybe a player stays in with the, with the national team and it hurts his, his situation with the club team. And I know you can say, oh, well, none of that matters. What matters is the national team. No, I get it. But think about this, right? If you have an option to play, if it's pretty close and you have someone who doesn't have these complications versus someone who does, why would you go with the one who has the complications when it can definitely make things worse? And before you know it, what if that player's not playing? What if he's not starting? And then you get in the next month. It, I mean, you need to start to understand that the each qualifying cycle yields consequences that can be felt beyond that cycle. And all we need as a reminder of that is Christian Pulisic and arena. They were both injured in September in the qualifiers. And guess what? They both ends up end up missing a month. They both, you know, did you know, don't return to their club teams. And guess what? Now they're not available for October. And that's how things can escalate. That's how things can that's why you know what? If you have the option to rest the player, if you have a comparable player that you feel good about, then you rotate. So I think that's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see I think we're gonna see rotation. Not everywhere. It's not gonna be a brand new eleven. No. Not that extreme, but I think there are going to be some spots where you can afford, where you can have, you know, you can shake things up, and I think that's what. We're... Now, who will get the call up top? Uh, that you know, that's a that's a good one. Ricardo Pepe's got to be the guy, right? Ricardo Pepe, Brendan Aronson, You have to keep them in the lineup. They you t- you were able to take them out you know, seventy seventh minute or what have you, uh let keep them from going the full ninety. So I think for me, you gotta play those two. And then who's the other spot? Paul Arriola was great, right? He gave you everything he had for ninety minutes. And I given the fact that he played the full ninety, there's I just don't think there's a way that he's gonna play. Especially when you have fresh options. And the leading candidate obviously is Tim Wea. And he's the guy who last episode I said I thought would start in the opener. But guess what? This Panama match you can argue is tougher. And what we saw from way up in his cameo off the bench has to have, for me, it should it should have every U.S. fan excited at the possibilities just because he is in outstanding form. He's playing with such a confidence right now, and he has that speed to burn. So I'm looking forward to it. He's in now, and you have to think he's going to get his shot. And, you know, Pepe Aronson, Wea is the front three. I thought we'd see in the first game, but now we're going to hopefully get to see it in the second game. Now, what can we say about this Panama team? Uh, first thing I would say is don't necessarily look at that El Salvador result and think, "Oh, this is going to be cake." They couldn't be; they lost to El Salvador. How good can they be? Well, number one, El Salvador is better than than I think people give them credit for being. And number two, the conditions of the field were atrocious. It rained. Well, first of all, it rained like throughout Central America, and and over that on that night right and but it rained in El Salvador i feel like more than anywhere else or at least it rained it started earlier and it was just crazy the field was un, like almost unplayable and for a team like Panama that definitely likes likes to knock the ball around it wasn't a great situation for them so you want to give them a little bit of uh you want you, you kind of want to say uh, you know we get it we get it things going happen in CONCACAF so don't write them off Is the point Because they went to Mexico City They got a point Against Mexico City They went to Jamaica They smoked Jamaica They hosted uh, Costa Rica at home And they thoroughly outplayed Costa Rica So the September You want to give them the credit For the September Right? Absolutely Having said that Their coach playing the same 11 For three straight matches Obviously cost them Because they had some players break down Who then weren't available in October And now you're doing it again You're playing nine of the 11 In the first match I don't know how many They're going to play in the second match and you're gonna you're gonna wear your team out if you don't rotate. And I know not everyone has the luxury, not everyone has the depth options to sit a star and sit the you know try to r- spread minutes around or or you know bring in some new blood. I get that it's not easy. This isn't a, this isn't FIFA. This isn't a video game, right? I get that, but it's uh, it's gonna. I think it could ca- it it's gonna catch Panama. I think it's gonna come back to haunt Panama by front-loading this the way they're doing it and really putting their their main nucleus through a grinder right now. Because they, they, I mean, they have to, I mean, they need to get these results. They're already starting to slip out of, right now they're fourth. Right now they're fourth and they're tied with El Salvador, which is, I mean, just shows you El Salvador, the, you know, the people weren't talking about El Salvador that much, but they're knocking on the door. They're knocking on the door. And that win against uh, Panama is going to give them a lot of confidence. But if you're, if you're, if you're Panama, if you're Thomas Christensen, you just wonder, does he change much against the U.S.? And I don't know if he's going to. So in terms of prediction time, uh, I you know, it, it's a road game. And we know it's it can be tough in Panama. But as I've noted earlier, the U.S. has never lost in Panama. And I don't think they're going to start now. And as much as I, I know Greg Berhalter was trying to be a little coy and say, oh, the advantage is with, is with Panama because they've played so many games together, especially recently. I get the logic, but I don't know if I buy it. I really don't know if I buy it. And this U.S. team has the potential to be so dangerous and so dynamic that I think they could absolutely run over, run over Panama. But, again, the field conditions are going to come into play. I think that's going to be a big question, what that field is like, what that field allows the, the Americans to do. If the field is in really good shape, I really like the U.S.'s chances of a big win. I really do, just because I think they have the weapons to overwhelm Panama. And, that's not, and I know some people say, oh, wait a minute, you can't, you can't be underrating Panama like this. Come on, show some respect. And like I, I just don't see it. I really don't. And I give them credit for as a collect, of being more of a collective than some other teams in terms of they don't have that star that they rely on. And I know people talk about Christian Pulisic when he's healthy. He's the kind of player that people make it too easy. It's too easy for some people to defer to stardom. It's, it's just too easy in some cases. And sometimes when you don't have that, when because right now Panama doesn't have that. Panama doesn't have that star player, that marquee, you know, Alfonso Davies. They don't have that kind of player. But they have a lot of veterans. They have a lot of rock-solid veterans who have been through so many CONCACAF wars. And I think that's what makes them interesting because I just don't see them really being a pushover. Could they end up getting blown out in some games just because they keep attacking, keep attacking? I Yeah, maybe. I suppose so. But I think that wraps up this episode of the SBI show. It's a little bit of a short one and definitely apologies for that. I just wanted to get it out. And there's just just got a lot going on and I hadn't been able to drop it on Friday. I was hoping to get it on Friday and then Saturday just kind of a lot of stuff just popping up trying to get things ready. And just a reminder, if you don't have it yet, make sure you subscribe to Paramount Plus because if you're going to want to watch you, I, I know you can watch it in Spanish on one of the Spanish channels. But if you want to watch it in English. Go subscribe to Paramount Plus, and watch our pregame show. Watch, and then you're going to watch the actual uh, U.S. Panama game itself. You have, you know, Charlie Davies, Agucheu, and of course the man himself, Clint Dempsey, on the on the pre match analysis, and um, and then the game itself. And by the way, if you're going to sign up, SBI happens to have a promo code. You can get. Paramount Plus, free for a month if you use the SBI promo code. If you go on com, you go to the Soccer on TV post, and you can find the code there, the link to the code, and make sure you input SBI under the offer code, on the pay on the sign up page, and we'll get you going, get you ready. And if you're listening to this and you haven't done that, go do that absolutely because you don't want to miss the game. I think it's going to be a good one. I think there's going to be a lot of goals, and hopefully, if the field isn't an absolute mess, I think you're going to see this U.S. midfield, whoever it may be, really shine in this match. But I think that's it. I think we've covered everything that we were going to cover. I'm trying to think what I'm sure there are things I forgot. I'm sure there are things I forgot, but. We've got all next week to get into that. I'll be in Columbus actually next week for the U S uh, Costa Rica match. So I'll still have an episode where I'm working on that. I'll have, I'll have my little setup. I'm, it's not the same. It's not, I'm not bringing the Shure SM7B microphone on the road with me, but I'll have a microphone to work with and I'll look to record in Columbus. And I'm looking forward just to get on the road for a road uh, for a qualifier. I have yet to be at a qualifier so far because I'm, I'm working with CBS, uh, and that's kind of kept me out out of the loop a bit. I'm obviously working on these games, but I'm not at these games and that'll hopefully change or it's going to change when I go to Columbus for the Costa Rica one and when I go to Cincinnati for us, Mexico. But definitely uh, let me know what you think Let me know what you think of the episode Let me know what you think of the projected lineup Go to SBI, drop your comments there And feel free to hit me up on Twitter Obviously at Soccer by Ivis And let me know what you think And uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about on Monday But that's all for now I'm Ivis Glarce. This is the SBI show